man, I have got to testify first to that song that we just sang. I was just sitting there in worship, and I really started thinking about how God is truly my way maker. And I really started thinking about how even when I didn't see it, he was working in my life. When I was on the road to destruction, when I was in my disobedience and in my rebellion, he still had a plan for me. When I was addicted, when I was strung out, when I was hopping couch to couch, he still had a plan for me. And he made a way for me. He is my way maker. I just had to testify for a second really quick. But church, I am excited today. Is anybody else excited? I love being in the house of God with my family, my dad, my stepmom, all my brothers in Christ. And, you know, I, uh, God kind of gave me this revelation um, not too long ago. And when I really started to understand it and when I really started to grasp this concept, um, it really changed my life. Uh, the message, it's titled Polishing the Promise. And I got to get this stuff over here real quick. So this right here is a dirty shoe. <laughs> but this right here is the promise, right? This is going to represent our promise for today. And a lot of times in our life, God has called us to something. God has given us a promise, but we can't see it. Why? Because it's covered with the junk and the filth of the world. Okay? So there's a lot of people my age and a little bit older, and I know this is how I felt, but um, going through high school, everyone was asking, you know, what are you going to do? Um, you're going to go to college. You're gonna, and I didn't really know what I was going to do because I didn't really know what God wanted me to do. So there was this void on the inside of me, and then you get the people that go off to college, and they're really just doing what mom or dad told them to do. Really what mom or dad said was a good idea because they, they don't really know what they want to do themselves. And it's because there's a lack of purpose. There's a lack of promise. Okay, they don't see the promise that God has called them to. There's this void on the inside of them that only can be filled by God. I went through it myself, a temporary satisfaction. I tried it in, in drugs and alcohol and women and everything under the sun, as Solomon says, but I couldn't find satisfaction. I couldn't find happiness in anything that I did until I broke down and I gave my life to the Lord. That's when the true joy came. The joy of the Lord came upon me. But, you know, the Bible says where there is no vision, the people perish. And, and when we have a vision of our promise, that kind of helps us truck through the storms of life, right? Because when we know what, God's, what God said, his word never returns void. So when God tells us, this is your calling, this is what I want you to do, you can plant your feet into the dirt and you can dig it a little deeper. And whenever the enemy starts throwing attacks your way, you can keep on going through because you know what God's called you to do. Okay? And I believe that Joseph, that's one of the reasons that he stuck through was because why? He saw his promise. He saw it before everything else happened. Right? He, he was young. He had the dreams of being king over his brothers and his family. And he gets thrown into the pit. He gets sold into slavery. He gets accused of raping Potiphar's wife and thrown into prison. And that, let alone, is enough for any average person, any average Christian just to give up. So I wonder, why did he keep going? It's because he saw the promise from the beginning. 
He saw from the beginning what God wanted him to do, and it helped him push through. It helped him truck through those storms of life. You know, and there's some promises where God will just say, stand still and see what I do for you today, right? And, and our job is just to kind of stand and watch what God does in our life. But then there's other promises where God requires our cooperation, okay? God requires our footwork. He requires action to it, okay? And that's why, you, that, that's why God will never deliver a promise prematurely. Are you following me? God will never deliver a promise to you prematurely if you're not ready for it yet. You see it all the time. Young people all of a sudden blow up in music and they become this big pop star and they have millions of dollars and you see them on a show seven years later and they're, they're back in the hood and they don't have no money and they're broke. Why? Because they weren't ready for it. Same, same with the lottery. People win the lottery and you see them ten years later and they're broke again. Why? Because they weren't ready for it. God will never deliver a promise to you prematurely. He's always constantly testing us and measuring us to see how much of the promise that we can handle. And you, you, you see it all the time. There's someone that, there's people that they don't know they're calling necessarily, and they'll be like, hey, I know exactly what God's called me to do, and, you're, and they're all gung-ho for it, and you just say, let's go, let's take on the world, and then what? They go through a storm, they go through a season in their life, and nothing ever comes out of it. And then they'll come back to you again and they'll say, I know exactly what God's called me to do. And it's something completely different. And it's like they're trying to make up their own calling on their life. They're not really trying to dig into what the Lord has to say about it. And that's why God will never deliver a promise premature. But uh, I wanted to talk about this shoe today. Okay. And this shoe is our promise and it's covered by the filth and the junk of the world. And there's a process that we have to go through before we can truly see what God is calling us to do, before we can truly see what God wants us to do with our life. Um, A.W. Tozer said that it is doubtful that God can bless a man greatly unless he has broken him. And it's not popular, but the fact of the matter is that pain is absolutely necessary for us as Christians, for us as people to go through heartache and go through pain. And I think back to my life and I think like when I was sitting in, I, I had a whole month where I sat in jail, right? And it was, it was the most terrible experience that I've ever gone through. And people go years in prison and, you know, but for me, that was literally the, the worst thing that I could have ever went through. And I sat there for a whole month and there was no windows. You didn't get to see the sunlight because that's a privilege. You didn't get to know what time it was because that's a privilege, right? And you're stuck in a pod in a cell with all these other guys <clears throat> that, are, that are criminals. And you have no choice but to listen to the filth and what they say. And you're around it and you're surrounded by it. And I think back to when I was with, with my ex-girlfriend and she tells me that she's pregnant and I'm not ready for it at all, right? And, you know, four months <clears throat> down the line, she says, you know, she, we end up having a miscarriage. And I think, like, why did I have to go through those things in my life? You know, those really painful things 
But see, what happens with our pain is it gives God the ability to display his power in our life. Okay, so I go through those things, but now I can sit here and I can tell you that God has pulled me from the darkness into his marvelous light. And yeah, I've had to go through some things in my life, but it's because God displayed his power. Right. In uh, Romans verse in chapter five, verse three and five, Daniel pulled up real quick. It says. And not only that, but we also glory in our tribulations knowing that our tribulations produce perseverance. And perseverance produces character, and our character produces hope. And that's what God does through our pain, is he gives us character. He builds us. He gives us our perseverance. And I wonder, God, why did I have to go through these things? But it's because now I can sit here and I can tell you, look, I have a testimony, and I've got a story that I can tell you, and i got people that I can minister who have been through the same thing in my life, and I've got a different character now. The Bible says that I am a new creation in Christ Jesus. i got new hands, and i got new feet, and i got a new mouth that's anointed to preach the good news because that's what the word of God says and I have a different character about me now I can say that I'm a man of God I can say that I have integrity things that I never used to be able to say and so Pain is absolutely necessary for us as Christians. I just want to get that point across because some, and yes, of course, God wants us to prosper and he wants us to uh, live in abundance. But there's some seasons that God requires out of us that just aren't fun, plain and simple. And we just don't get all the things that we want. And it's because he's trying to teach us something through it all. He's trying to teach us something. See, another thing that pain does is it helps eradicate sin in our lives. It's, it's a flushing process. It helps eradicate the sin because the positive side of it is we get to see our faults. When we mess up, we get to see what it is exactly that we do wrong, and we get to say, I don't want to do that again. So I go to jail, and I'm like, I don't want to do that again. What's the best way of not doing that? Not to break the law, right? I think about uh, the miscarriage, you know. I don't ever want to go through that again. That still haunts me to this day. Don't have premarital sex. I mean, that's just the bottom line. And so we learn things through our pain. Okay, there's the positive side of that is that we do learn things through our pain. And people always think that pain is associated with the enemy or pain is associated with the devil. But I'm here today to tell you that not all the time is that true. Not all the time is that true. God calls us to go through different seasons in our life where we have to go through some things. In James verse or chapter one, two and through four, it says, "Count it all joy." What an attitude switch that would be, right? If every time that a, a trial and a tribulation came to us in our life, that we would just instead of getting all down about it, we could just start praising God because we know that He's building some kind of character in us. We know that He's really trying to do something with us in our life. Whenever someone's trying to come at me and tell me all these lies and different things, I can just start praising God because I'm accounted all joy. That's what the Bible says. It doesn't. It says, "Be not hearers of the word, but doers only." So it says, "My brethren." Count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work. 
that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Our trials, they teach us things. They build our character. They produce our patience so that we can handle different things through life. If I didn't go through some of the things that I went through, I would not be able to stand up here and, and give this message to you guys. I would not be able to look at some of these clean sweep girls and say, it's okay, you just got to keep pushing on. You just got to keep trucking. I've been in your shoes. I've been there before. I had to go through my process. I had to go through my season. But I'm telling you what, I'm going to say it again. God pulled me from the darkness into his marvelous light, and I've got a story to tell. And I can stand up here and preach this because I've been through what you've been through. And that's another thing that pain does. And it it can help us minister to people who have been through the exact same thing as we have. Okay? When, when When I've went through my walk in life, I can minister to people who went through the exact same thing. And so I praise God. Amen? In, um... Psalms 119, verses 67. This is the NLT version, but I I like it the best for what I'm really trying to preach. It says, I used to wander off until you disciplined me. Now I closely follow your word. He's a good father, and he is a father, and he has the ability to discipline you. Okay, and definitely I used to wander off in my life. I used to go and do whatever I wanted and whatever pleased me and whatever pleased my flesh. And I went out and I sowed my wild oats and I used to wander off until God disciplined me. And now I follow his word closely. See, there's a process. See, I was trying to figure out my whole life what it was that I was supposed to do, right? What God has called me to do, and now I've come to tell you that there is a process in finding those things out, and pain is absolutely necessary in that process of finding out your promise, finding out your calling. Pain creates the pressure in our life to create something precious. When you think about a diamond, it, go, it goes through thousands of thousands of years of pressure before it comes out as precious as it is. Sometimes people don't even want to give them up because there's no value to them, because it's that precious. And that's what pain is. It creates the pressure necessary to create something precious. So, let's go to our promise real quick. This, I'm going to apply pressure to the promise. The pressure removes the things on the surface level of the promise so that you can see what it is that God is calling you to do. And a lot of times when we're going through our pain, it will set us up in the perfect posture for the next step, right? Because when I'm going through my pain, I end up down here on my knees. I end up down here on my knees in the perfect posture where I can pray and where I can cry out to the Lord and I can say, God, I need you right now. Lord, I need you in this season of my life. I can't do this on my own. And that's the next step in this is it's prayer, right? We got pain and we got prayer. And prayer allows us to see things from God's point of view. It allows us to see things from God's point of view. It allows us to to really tap into the presence of God. And nowadays, it's so hard to focus on that, right? 
Because what? We got our phones, and, and we got Facebook, and we got Instagram, and you got more people you, spending time with Instagram than they do Jesus. You got more people scrolling through Facebook than they are sitting in their prayer time. And in this day and age, in this, in this computer age, that's, what, that's, that's one of the main tools that the enemy uses to distract us from our promise, to distract us from seeing our calling. If he can distract you long enough to take you to hell, he's going to do it because that's his job. He is going after you every single day, and we have to stand guard every single day. And one of the main ways to combat that is a word called prayer. And we got to be effective in it. We got to be fervent in it. We got to be diligent in our prayer life. The Bible actually calls us to pray without ceasing. That's what Paul says in Thessalonians. He says, pray with, he says, rejoice always and pray without ceasing. Do you even know what that looks like? It's a hard concept to really grasp. And you know, a lot of times there's people and and they pray sure but they pray like once a day and it's like right before they go to bed and they'll be laying down in bed and they'll just say god thank you so much for this day and like halfway through the prayer they fall asleep like do you not think that god deserves more than that do you not think that the god who created heaven and earth who gave breath to you who put life inside of you deserves more than you just falling asleep one prayer a day and you just falling asleep in the middle of your prayer like God is holy and he should be respected and we should have reverence for God and we a lot of people approach their prayer life so like lackadaisical like it's just uh, something that they do Right? But I'm trying to tell you today that it's time to take prayer very seriously because it's communication. It's a dialogue. We're supposed to talk to God, and he's supposed to talk back to us. And a lot of times we'll be sitting in prayer, and we'll be talking, and God's just like, shut up. I'm trying to tell you something. You know? We're just sitting there jibber-jabbering the whole time, and, and we don't give God enough time to talk back to us. And... You know, I remember all the time I would be out in the world, right? And <clears throat> I was in my addiction or whatever, and I'd be driving around, and I'd, I'd be drunk or something, and all of a sudden a cop would show up behind me, and I would, then I'd pray, right? I'd say, God, please get me out of this one. God, please get me out of this one. Or I'd go to my PO or something, and I'd know that I was, gonna, I, I was dirty, and I wasn't going to pass a drug test. And I'd be like, God, if you could just get me out of this one, I promise you, God, I will serve you, God, I promise you. And that's, that's the problem a lot of times is we only come to God in our prayer life when we're in trouble. We only come to God in our prayer life whenever we need something. We don't ever want to just come to God and pray and just talk to God. See, that's why he created us was to have a relationship with us. And we, we like forget or neglect the fact that God just wants a relationship with us, you know? And, and, we, and, and I did it all the time. God, I only prayed when I really needed something or I really needed to get out of something, right? Or I'd be scared. I'd be scared of what the consequences were. And I coined this phrase to Paul the other day and I said, prayer of anxiety is not a prayer of authority. Did you get that? 
Prayer of anxiety is not a prayer of authority. Jesus came and he gave his disciples and he gave us the authority to tread upon the snakes and the scorpions. He gave us the authority in his name to cast out demons. But whenever we pray like, God, please, please, God, and we got these real sissy prayers, he's like, we have authority. We have unction on the inside of us. We can cast out devils in the name of Jesus Christ. But we just pray like, It's nothing. Like, we don't take our relationship with God seriously. In uh, James chapter 5, verses 16, the end of that verse is what I'm really trying to focus on. It says, the effective prayers of a righteous man, the effective fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. The effective fervent prayers of a righteous man availeth much. How effective are we in our prayer life? How fervent are we in in our prayer life? How much time do we spend with God? Are we just being average? Are we just being mediocre? God has has called us to the supernatural, to the extraordinary. He's not called us to just be mediocre. Are we being effective in our prayer life? That's the question I'm asking right now because I'm trying to tell you that when you want to see your promise, when you want to see your calling, you have got to get down on your knees and pray. And you have got to talk to the Lord and you have got to hear back from Him because you can't make up your own calling. And the Bible says, don't be tossed to and fro like the ship. You can't be tossed to and fro. And the way is you know what God has said to you. Paul preached a message the other day. He said, my daddy said so. And when my dad says something, I believe that it's true. And when my dad says something, I believe that it's true. And when my dad says something, I believe that it's true. Because God's word does not return void. And we act like we just forget that all the time. Because we're just not strong or we're just falling victim to every attack of the enemy that comes against us. Like, why can we not stand up? Why can we not pray with the Holy Ghost? That's what it is. We need to pray with the Holy Ghost, with the power of the Holy Ghost, and with the authority and come against the attacks of the enemy on our life, against the attacks of the enemy on our church, against the attacks of the enemy on our friends, on our peers, on our family. But we just pray once a day before we go to bed. We fall asleep during our prayer because God's not that respected to us. He deserves more than that. God is a holy God. He is a righteous God. I keep thinking I keep thinking back to Isaiah chapter 6. He was in fear for his life when he was in the presence of God. And he was respected. He thought he was going to die because he was in the holy presence of God. He was probably the most righteous man that lived on the earth at that time and still said, I live amongst the people who are unclean. My lips are unclean. Woe is me. And we just like fall asleep during our prayers at night or whatever. Like God deserves more than that. And if you're trying to see your calling, if you're trying to see your promise, then it's time to become effective. It's time to become fervent in your prayer life. That's what takes you to the next level. That's what takes you to the next step. I, when I was in, in the uh, Dream Center, I remember towards the end of my time there that I really started 
really praying and really trying to start hearing from God. And I told God, I desire to be in the ministry, Lord, and I desire to do your work. And what happens? Paul calls and asks if I could come work at the church. So I'm praying about it. I'm like, okay, God, if that's what you want, you've got to put the things in place, right? So then he provides me with a place to live. Then Mindy comes over and she's like, hey, you know what? I'm not using this van anymore. You want it? And God just starts providing all these things because why? I prayed. And that's what we need to do. I feel like you're not getting it. Prayer is literally that important. Um, in 2 Kings chapter 20, verse 5, it's talking about King Hezekiah. And he was the lineage of David, but he was not a godly man. And Isaiah came to him and told him to get his house in order, to get his things in order because he was going to die. God was going to take his life. Because he was not obedient. So what did Hezekiah do? He got down on his knees and he cried out to God and he said, Lord, forgive me, for I have sinned. And God saw his tears. God saw his sincerity. He saw the fervor in his prayer. And not only did God grant him 15 extra years in life, he also delivered the enemy to the the children of Israel at the time. Because he was fervent in his prayer. It, was, it meant something to him. And when it means something to you, it means something to God. All the small things in your life that you don't think mean anything, they really mean something. Yes, God is big and God is holy, but the things that matter to you matter to him too. Because you were created in his image, you are his child. He wants you to have the things you want. The Bible says he will give you the desires of your heart. But you've got to pray. prayer creates the tears prayer creates the water necessary to wash the promise and as you begin to pray you start to see what it is that God is calling you to do. As you begin to pray and as you begin to to cry out to God in all fervor and all sincerity, you begin to see exactly what it is that God is wanting you to do. You've went through the process, you've went through some steps, and you can start to you can start to see exactly where God wants you to go. See, there's a there's an attitude switch. There's a mindset that has to be shifted, right? Because when I, when I go to God and I can say, God, please, God, my, my mom is sick right now. And God, I need you to heal her because I don't know what I would do. Lord, I'm asking you from the bottom of my heart, God, and I'm crying out to you. But see, there's a difference when I do that to when I start saying, God, I know that you've healed my mother. I know that you've sent your healing angels to come down and minister to her. There's a difference. There's an attitude switch. There's a faith shift in that that creates, that causes God to look at his angels and be like, did you just hear what he said? Go down there and make sure that gets done. Because it's a faith. All we need is faith the size of a mustard seed to move a mountain. All we need is just a little bit of faith. All we need is just a little bit of... 
It's in our praise. It's in the declaration. It's in the the proclamation. When we say, God, I know that you've done it. Paul was talking about it earlier. It's easy to praise God whenever whenever the prayer's been answered. But can you praise God before the prayer is answered? Can you praise God even whenever you don't see it coming about? That's where it's at. That's where our faith is shown. When Paul and Silas were in prison, they praised God. They didn't sit there and weep. They didn't sit there and cry out and say, oh, God, please help me. No, they started singing hymns, and they started praising God, and they they were saying, God, I don't know what's going on right now. I don't know how I'm going to get out of this situation, but I know that you make all things work together for good for those who love you and are called according to your purpose. So you know what? I'm going to praise you. And what happened was the people in the prison started praising God. And then all of a sudden, the doors opened, and the, and the guard and his family got saved from it. See, there's, there's an there's a energy that's contagious to people around you when you start praising God. Everyone around you wants to start praising God, and people's lives begin to get changed. People's lives begin to get affected when you start praising God. His whole family was saved because Paul was in prison. The pain, the things that we don't think are necessary, Praise is the polish to the promise. Praise unlocks the manifestation because our faith arises when we start to praise. And that's when God wants to answer our prayers whenever we praise. Praise is, like I said, the polish to the promise. Praise is what makes it shine. You can see after you've gone through the the process and you start praising God exactly what it is that he's called you to do. Paul was talking about it earlier. David, he's dancing in the streets when the Ark of the Covenant's coming back, and he's dancing, and and his clothes fall off. He's praising God so hard, his clothes fall off. He had no cares in the world about who was around him and who was looking at him because the only thing that he was thinking about was him and God. That's what happens when we start praising God is we don't think about him or we don't think about her. We ain't got time to listen to what the enemy's trying to say to us because we're too busy hooping and hollering and we're jumping around and we're telling God how good he is, how much he means to us, and we're praising the Lord. We don't got time for what the people are saying. We don't got time for what the enemy's saying. It don't make no difference to me because when I'm sitting and I'm praising God for for delivering me from all the things that he has, I I can't hear what the devil's trying to say to me. I'm too busy praising God. But some of us tend to forget our blessings we tend to forget the things that God has done for us. And we allow the enemy to keep us in this, like, really negative mindset, this really negative way where we feel like nothing's going right in life and I don't have this and I don't have that. And, not, and, and, and you just get stuck in that. And you forget all the blessings that God has given you. You are alive. You've got breath in your lungs. You've got a job and you're healthy. You've got a car. I mean, there's all sorts of things that you can praise God and you can, you can bless him for. Because 
He has given you so much, and we tend to forget all the time. I'm so guilty of this, and I tend to forget all the time the thing that God has done for me. And when Satan tries to bring up my past, I just bring up his future, and I tell him, look, do you not remember what it says in the book of Revelations that you're going to be cast into the lake of fire? You can bring up my past all you want, but it don't matter, Satan, because I'm going to praise God, and I'm going to keep on praising him. The praise of the Lord will forever be on my lips, is what the Bible says, and I'm going to keep on doing it because you don't have power over me he for he forgets that it says we overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony so i give it and i say it with all the authority that jesus has given me and i say it with all the unction on the inside of me because that's how we overcome we can't forget our blessings We can't forget, and he tries to bring up the past to me all the time. I used to be a man, that's all I did. That's all I did was think about the past. I would think, I should have played sports in high school, and I should have done this, and I should have stuck with this girl, and I should have, but none of that matters, because I'm brand new. I'm a new creation in Christ is what the Bible says. I don't have to think about those things anymore. He doesn't have power over my mind anymore in Jesus' name. And that's what I tell him. And I start quoting the word over myself and over my life because that's what Jesus did when he was being tempted. He started quoting the word. He said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out the mouth of God. He started telling the devil what it was because he knew the word. Do we we know the word? The land of Canaan was promised to the Israelites long ago with Abraham, right? Time passed and generations came and went and the promise started looking foggy. They couldn't really see it anymore. They didn't have very many leaders and God uses this man named Moses to deliver them out of Egypt, right? And, And then Joshua takes over and they're trying to walk into their promise that God promised Abraham so long ago. And Joshua came up to this place called Jericho and he was walking about and an angel of the Lord came to him and said that the city was delivered to them. And Joshua knew right then that the promise was right there, just right around the corner. And what I'm trying to say is, on the seventh day, you didn't see them walking around the walls of the city, crying out in tears to God. They were jumping around, shouting, praising the Lord, and the walls came tumbling down. It's in our praise that the breakthrough happens. It's in our praise that the walls fall down. Who's trying to see the promise on the other side of the wall? Then just praise. It's in our praise. The praise is in us. The pra- the, the, our weapon is praise. I, I believe that there are people here who are struggling to find their call in their life. And they're struggling to see the promise that God has given them. And I just wanted to supply some steps today that praise is the final ingredient. And this is the polish that I got, so.
There's a process that we have to go through. And too many times, people try to skip the process. And they try to go from one step to the third step. And there's just, it just doesn't work like that in the kingdom of God. You can't skip things in the kingdom of God. I used to try to skip things all the time, but you can't because that's not how God works. He is a just God, and he has things set up strategically for you in your life so that you can learn things, so that you can build your character, so you know how to work in your prayer life, so that you can praise God. And I believe that there are people here today that are struggling to find their call. I believe that there are people here today that cannot see the promise that God has given them. I, I think that God has gave me this word, maybe not for everyone, but for just one or two. There's someone that is really struggling, trying to push through this, this process of pain or trying to push through this process of prayer because they can't see what's on the other side. They still got this void on the inside of them and they're lacking the vision of their promise. I believe that and if, if that's you today, who's struggling to find your call in life, who's struggling to see the promise that God has given you, who's struggling to go through the process, I want you to come up to the front because I just want to pray with you. Thank you, Jesus. I don't know why I'm going this direction, but just bear with me for a second, guys. I want to tell you something. I was in a time of prayer last year. And I was, I remember I was in prayer and it was a great time. I was talking to the Lord. I was hearing from the Lord. And God showed me something. I want you to listen to this. God showed me something. I saw my brother, my younger brother, and he was driving his car. And he came up to a stoplight, and he went through the stoplight, and a car came and hit him and crushed him. And I began to weep, and I said, God, why did you show me that? I don't, why did you show me that, God? I don't want to see that. And he said, you see how much that you love your brother? Do you see how important he is to you? Do you see how much he means to you? 
I am more important than that. I am more important than any relationship that you have. I am more important than any family member that you have. I am more important than your job. I am more important than anything that you try to place in front of me. And I'm saying it because I believe that there's people in here that are placing some things before God, that are placing some relationships before God, that are placing certain things in their life, and you know what it is, before God. And he is Alpha and Omega. He is the beginning and the end. He is the one and only. He is the great I am. And there is nothing that is over him. There is nothing that is above him. And you have got to rearrange your priorities. If that's you, if you're placing different things before God and you know that you are, I want you to come up right here. Hallelujah. Everybody at the at your seats, just lift your hands right where you're at right now and just begin to pray. Just